0: Hey everyone before we start i wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service head to our website that's dc2.me and from the media drop down click sermons you can watch our whole service there and now here's this week's sermon all right hey i'm just going to start with a fairly deep question i want to recognize it's a beautiful day We've had one song for some of you, you're still kind of orienting your way around being in church, because whatever has happened today, and here I am starting with a deep question. Here it is. What do you think the purpose of your life is? <laughs> if, you, if somebody were to ask you right now to say, why was I born, why do I exist, what is my life all about, what would you say? Now, I'm not expecting an answer. This is a rhetorical question. Maybe it's a homework assignment. Maybe you already know. Some of you have done that kind of work. I know 21st century, there's all kinds of diagnostic tests and coaches that can help us with this kind of thing. But the simple fact is humans were born with a purpose. And for those of you who are not followers of Christ, I think this is one of the key things to understand on why you would ever become a follower of Christ, because God is the purpose giver. And without God, we're just another random human on this planet living our life. And quite frankly, for me, that's not enough. It's not enough for me to be a hedonist. Uh, I think it'd be fun for a while to drive a Ferrari. I think it really would. But then after a few weeks, I'm like, you know what, it's just a Ferrari. There must be something more than chasing my pleasure and making sure life is about me and and having everything good in this life. Now, fortunately for us, the idea of what our purpose is, we don't have to figure it out on our own. The early church fathers and mothers actually gave us our purpose. It's in this little document that most of us uh, free church people would never read called the Westminster Greater Catechism. I, too, have not read it, just to be completely transparent. I just happen to know some of the things that are in it, because Google, that's why, and also, in my case, seminary exams, but I digress. Uh, The Westminster Greater Catechism says the purpose of human existence, or the way they word it, the chief end of man. That's what they say, the chief end. So another way you could ask it is, well, what's my chief end? Now, some of you are like, No, no, not that end. What is my chief end? The chief end of humans is to enjoy God and glorify God forever. That's why we exist. That's the purpose of human beings, to enjoy God and glorify God forever. That's not bad, is it? That'll do. I think that'll work. If, If you and I could orient our lives in such a way that we enjoy the presence of God, I think probably... Probably the number one struggle in my life is how my day-to-day existence and how my cultural pressures and everything kind of bump me out of alignment, if you will. Like my chief end, it needs to be aligned to glorify God and enjoy God forever. So many things in our lives, our schedules, so many things in our culture, they kick us out of a chief end alignment, So, let's do this. I'm just going to give you just 20 seconds of silence. I'm just going to invite you to think about, okay, what's going on in my week this week? As I look at my week, what do I have coming up? What's on the schedule? What do I have to do? And uh, as you think about that, what might get in the way this week of you enjoying your God? Uh, What is stopping you from glorifying God forever? And I think it's very reasonable that you'd be saying glorify God forever. How do I even glorify God for seven minutes? Forever? Once in a while we need a chief end alignment. You know when you go to Firestone Auto and they ask you do you want the one time chief end alignment or for $179 you can get a lifetime chief end alignment. Always choose the lifetime deal because you'll be coming back again and again. We need frequent chief end alignments because so many dynamics in our lives knock us out of alignment. Has that been the case for you as well? But the good news is God has not left us to our own devices, God helps us align our chief end by appointing men and women that help us with our chief end alignment. These men and women are known as prophets, so for those of us who are more familiar with church people, you know these names, Moses for example, Deborah, uh, was a prophet. Elijah, a very unknown prophet, another woman named Holder. Just a few of you know Holder from Sunday school probably. Isaiah was a prophet. And these prophets, they had certain characteristics in common. If you need a chief and alignment, what typically happens is you're kind of just going about your business. You're going about your day. You're doing what you do. And then a prophet comes along and, and gets your attention. And so some of the ways they use to get our attention uh, are quite entertaining. For example, they were very eccentric, these prophets. They wore weird things. They said bold things that make you angry. They sometimes would do street theater. They would actually do like a form of pantomime to try to get your attention. What they're trying to do is knock you out of your life so you can pause long enough and see God. Sometimes prophets would speak boldly. Sometimes they would speak words of comfort and encouragement. Sometimes they would be prophetic to one individual. Sometimes they would take on an entire country. Uh, And sometimes they were angry. Sometimes they made you angry. But what they always had in common is they were always calling you and I to something higher than ourselves. They were always trying to get us back to our purpose, something like a purer version of our best self. And they were commanding us to strip away the pretense and the hypocrisy and our sin. They were helping us get rid of distractions so we could focus solely on God. Kind of one of those back to the essentials kind of people. Oftentimes prophets would bring us a strong message of repentance and it was all for the sake of getting our attention, knocking us into a chief end alignment. So let's talk about one of the prophets, for example, Elijah. Elijah. He wore weird things. Um, he had one outfit. If you go back in your Old Testament, Elijah. Do you know anyone like this, by the way? They, wore, they wear the same thing. Sometimes what I do, because I don't like to figure out what to wear. It's just exhausting. So sometimes what I'll do is, is if I figure out I'm with one group of people on one day, I'm in an altogether group, different group of people the next day, different group of people the next day. Brilliant. Same set of clothes. Like I don't need to show up wearing different clothes. I just take it off, put it somewhere where I can find it the next day. This is Elijah. He had one outfit, camel hair jacket. That was his deal, camel hair jacket. And then a leather belt. Leather belt. Elijah, everywhere he went, camel hair jacket with a matching leather belt. Elijah was a desert prophet. Camel hair has this miraculous, by the way, you can pick yourself up a nice camel hair jacket on Amazon or Banana Republic, if I may, and they have incredible properties. They, they keep you cool in the heat and warm in the cold. I did a little camel hair research this week. I've now committed a camel hair jacket in my heart. Jesus says if you lust after a camel hair jacket in your mind, you've already committed one in your heart or something like that. So that's all that Elijah wore and he was so famous for his camel hair jacket. There's actually a story in 2 Kings where Elijah's on the road and a group of the king's servants walk by and Elijah grabs them and he gets in their face and he tells them to repent. He's really angry and that really ticks them off. And they go to the king, and they're like, who is this dude in the desert telling us how to live our life? And the king says, it's right there in your Bible, the king says, well, what did he look like? Now, you would think when someone says, what did he look like, you would do like a a police sketch. Well, you know, he was like five foot eight, and he had strong features, uh, brown hair, brown eyes. No, they just said, well, he wore a camel camel hair jacket. And the king's like, oh, that's Elijah. That's how he was known for his camel hair jacket. And some of you are like, why are we spending so much time on a beautiful Sunday morning talking about camel hair jackets? It's a fair question. Elijah didn't just wear weird things. He, He also said bold things. He would get right in your face. He would call people to repent and seek God. So he was not a popular prophet. He was not in the billboard ratings. He was definitely lower on the list. Now, sometimes prophets... They spoke hope and encouragement after a difficult season. And what strikes me is not every prophet got in our face and told us off. Sometimes the prophets would say, you know what, folks, the last two years have been brutal. Everything was disoriented, we ran out of toilet paper there for a while, the prophet might say, you had to bury friends. And if you didn't bury friends, maybe you lost friends through political disagreement. This has been a difficult season, the prophet might say, and so then a guy like Isaiah came along. Isaiah was a prophet, and not unlike the difficult season that we had been through, Isaiah saw that God's people had been through a difficult season, and so rather than speaking condemnation and repentance, he spoke comfort and hope. Isaiah 40, some of the most beautiful poetry in scripture, where Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Then Isaiah goes on to say, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged place a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, some of you right now are in that church with that choir singing handle. Ultimately, prophets stepped into the times. And they spoke in a way to help us see God and encounter God, the Westminster Greater Catechism, help us with a chief end alignment. The the job of the prophet was to point to God in such a way that we could learn to enjoy God and we could learn to glorify God forever. And so today's story, as we go through our series in the book of Matthew, gets us to the last prophet. This is the guy that had one foot in the Old Testament and one foot in the New Testament. He was bridging the times and much like Isaiah did and much like Elijah did and Moses and Deborah and Huldah, the men and women of old, He would see the times that the people were in, and he called the people to account, and he pointed to God. Now, the reason that this prophet, John the Baptist, was the last prophet is because Jesus showed up. Actually, Jesus interrupted John's sermon. It's quite a fun, don't get any ideas, by the way, but Jesus, while John was preaching, Jesus just walked right into the scene, and John's like, well, my job's done because there he is. Nothing more, you don't need a prophet anymore, you've got the real thing. You don't need someone to do street theater and call you to repent and give you hope because all you have to do is follow this guy. Every gospel writer mentions John the Baptist, that's what a big deal he was. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, We're in Matthew, Uh, so let's look at him in Matthew chapter three. In those days, Matthew writes, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Matthew, the author, is quoting Isaiah, the prophet, that same passage that I read to you before, Isaiah chapter 40. Matthew is saying, John the Baptist has hints of Isaiah. Yes, wine lovers, you can talk about prophets using tasting notes. John's in a cup. Oh, I I, I smell hints of Isaiah. But Matthew, when he's quoting Isaiah, shifts the comma. Isaiah wrote in Hebrew, Hebrew has no commas, actually also Hebrew has no vowels. It's the worst language to try to study because it goes the wrong way, you have to read it like Arabic and then they didn't even have the courtesy to put vowels, it's all consonants, it's just very difficult. This is why we should be grateful for our Bible scholars because they can read this stuff. But Isaiah wrote and the the interpreters shifted the comma from what Isaiah said to when Matthew quoted him, and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Let's see, there it is there. Uh, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, comma. In Isaiah, it's a voice of one calling, comma, in the wilderness. Now, some of you are like, who cares? But I just want to remind us, and I have a graphic to remind us, punctuation saves lives, people. Um, It's very important. Matthew is saying, this guy is that voice. When Isaiah was saying a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord, that's the way Isaiah puts it, Matthew says, there is a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And he is saying, prepare for the way for the Lord, and the fact that he's in the wilderness is evidence that he is the guy we're talking about. Matthew is endorsing John the Baptist as a legitimate voice of God, as a legitimate person worth listening to. He goes on to say, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. How about that? I smell, I smell hints of Isaiah and mm, Elijah, camel's hair. Mm. Now, my parents went through an unfortunate phase for 15 years where they were goat ropers. There's no accounting for it. My parents loved goats, and so in my young adult years, and actually, by the way, a couple of you in this room have helped my parents with their goats, Jim and Kim Hagel, I'm calling you out. And once you get the smell of goat in your nose, it never really leaves. I don't mean to spoil, but when I'm at a restaurant and somebody says, would you like goat cheese with that? I then ask them, is that because you're a Satanist? Now, maybe you love goat cheese, and I have no problem with you, but every time I taste goat cheese, I'm right back to my parents' goat herd, tackling my my parents' goats for them so we can vaccinate them and clip their nails. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. Can you ever get the camel out of the jacket? That's the question I have. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. Weird guy also would fit right in, in the front range and possibly even bolder. (laughs) Uh, When I was younger, we would make fun of John the Baptist for his diet, but now you can buy cricket Protein powder, I think we have a picture of that as well, uh, at your local King Super. Yeah, there it is, pure cricket powder. Uh, backstage beforehand with the band, I just did a brief survey. Who here, I asked, has eaten a grasshopper? It would be a shocking percentage of the backstage band. Next time they come out, you can look at them and say, Did you? Did you do that? But maybe you have too. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist, shades of Elijah. His food was locust and wild honey, a perfectly acceptable food when you're in the desert and there's not much to eat and a guy has to get his protein. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. This guy was a rock star. This guy was somebody that everybody knew had a message that we needed to hear. People went out to him Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay, so John is a prophet of God. He has tasting notes of Isaiah, he has tasting notes of Elijah. What's interesting here is John didn't come to the people. He was not an itinerant evangelist. You didn't have to just do your own thing where the evangelist comes to town sets up a tent and all you have to do is walk across the road. No, what people had to do was let God interrupt their schedule and then go out of their way to seek the prophet out John didn't come to the people, he created a draw, people came to John. And it's just a reminder, before we go and we're just gonna pull out a couple of things about John. Here's the one of the things I would really hope that we could take away this week. A reminder that we live in a culture where we are oriented and conditioned for everything to come to us. Yesterday my espresso machine had a little signal on it that said, clean me. Really? Who who works for who, buddy? That's what I wanted to say. But I was like, oh, I'm I'm out of espresso machine tablets. I wonder where I could get them, and then I remembered well Amazon Prime. Now, it used to be back in the old days that Amazon Prime, it took two days. Gosh! I went on yesterday and it said, hey, if you order in the next 45 minutes, we'll get it to you between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. today. We live in a culture, now I'm not making that comment by the way as a critique. I know sometimes preachers get up and we always try to say, oh you're a terrible person and life is much worse than you think. That's not my point at all. All I'm saying is I have been conditioned by most of the things in my life in this culture for everything to come to me. I'm not so much making the case that we're self-absorbed, although that is true. No, I'm making the case that we're busy. As you looked at your calendar this week, when I started the beginning, when I said, hey, just take 20 seconds and consider what's coming up this week, did you be like, oh man, it's another big week? Is that what your reaction was? That's my point, I think. And here's my point. If we don't carve out time intentionally to get away and meet with the prophet, the prophet sure isn't coming to us So here's the question. Maybe you could talk about this in your household if you have a life group. Maybe you could talk about this in your life group. When's the last time you intentionally sought wilderness to connect to God? Now many of us, we are blessed to live in Colorado. This is a gift for those of us who are joining us online and in the room and we live in Colorado. What a gift from God we have and we make use of Colorado, don't we? We love to get in the mountains, we love to get by that quiet stream. We love to ski in the winter, we love to rock climb and fish and all other things. What a gift, this is great. The question here isn't just getting away, it's intentionally seeking wilderness to connect to God. That's different, isn't it? that's different than just going on a hike for a hike's sake, just getting away from your schedule, that's a good thing, and yes, God can meet you there. I'm talking about, for example, maybe going to a monastery, like just an hour up the road from us right here in this building, St. Wahlberger's Monastery, open to the public, rammed earth chapel, architecturally award-winning chapel, where you'll meet 30 nuns that don't care that you're there and seven times a day they chant in Gregorian the Psalms. And you can go to the chapel and for seven times in a day you can enjoy God and glorify God. When is the last time you intentionally sought wilderness out? As I was praying through this message, I was really aware like, is this really what God's calling me to bring to our people? Haven't we just gone through a two year wilderness? Aren't we enjoying that life is a bit back to normal? I I think yes. I think for those of you who now you can go on your vacation, you can get on a plane, you can get on the cruise, thank God for that. I'm not trying to pile on and pile on, I'm just saying what lessons did God have for us in the last two years and did we learn them? I can't speak for you, I feel like as a culture I don't know that we learned our lessons. As a culture we got more vindictive, we got more isolated from each other emotionally we, we've gotten more combative. I don't know that our culture has learned the lessons that God had for us. Couldn't have this been an opportunity for our entire culture to get on our knees and seek the Lord as everything was taken away from us? Doesn't seem like that's happened. Maybe for you it did individually. But now that we're coming out of that and now that we do, are trying to figure out a new normal, let's not forget that God has a message for us, and if we're left to our own devices and our own schedule, it's quite likely we will never run into it. The desert, the wilderness, has a unique message from God for us, and what is that unique message? Uh, The message is repent. Repent. I, I don't, it doesn't make a difference whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Repentance leads to freedom. I know those of you who aren't followers of Christ. You have a very low opinion of the church. You probably have a low trust of clergy. So me, someone like me, saying something like this, you may be wanting to write it off. Listen, in the history of following God, repentance is the path to connecting to God. Turning from our sins, turning from ourselves. Turning from our preferences, overcoming our own individual rights, living for whatever we please, deciding that everyone gets to decide what is right in our own eyes. So many of these things that our culture holds in the highest value that God says be so suspicious of that, that's the path to death. John the Baptist says, okay, now you're in the wilderness, what's your next job? Your next job is to repent, Matthew 3, 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Now, in case you're wondering, that was not a compliment then, just the way it was not a compliment now. Uh, Back in John's day, they believed that vipers, when they were being given birth to, they couldn't be bothered coming out of their mother the proper way, so they would just eat through their mother and kill her by giving, by kind of birthing themselves. So being a brood of vipers is basically saying, you're the kind of human that loves to kill your mother. Not a pleasant, not a pleasant kind of thing to say. You brood of vipers, John said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If I were to put words in John's mouth, I would say what John is saying is if you really have a change of heart, there will be fruit from that change of heart. Repentance is evident to everybody. So the way that you know you've repented is you can ask the people in your life. Produce fruit, John says, in keeping with repentance. I think what John is saying is if you really have a change of heart, you will change your behavior Now, this is the point in our story. You know, John the Baptist is in all of the Gospels. This is the point where we need to push pause on Matthew, and we just need to lean a little bit on Luke because Luke actually gives us some really helpful ways to repent where in Luke, John lays out very practical ways to repent. Isn't that the problem sometimes? Sometimes the problem with our Christian faith is it's so ethereal, like it's so like intangible. Like, don't you just sometimes want someone just to tell you what to do now, I know sometimes the lo- we know what, don't tell me what to do. Let me live my own life, right? But sometimes it would be so helpful for a prophet of God just to stand up and say, live this way, don't do that, stop doing this, start doing that, and then you can just make it like a punch list and you can actually follow God. Do- wouldn't you find that helpful? When I was in college, we had a professor, Stan McDaniel. He was legendary around the campus. By the way, I went to a school where all the professors lived on campus, so we all kind of became, it wasn't a cult, by the way, but we all kind of became, a community. And Stan McDaniel, he was very direct. He kind of had some John the Baptist qualities about him. He was pretty abrasive. He was kind of a a acerbic figure. And we kind of loved him for it. I prophetic encounters with Stan McDaniel because what he loved to do is every morning he would get up at 4.45, he would get to the cafeteria by 5 o'clock and he expected his coffee to be ready with his newspaper by 5.15. He was one of those guys that had a morning routine. You know those sick people, right? And, And he had a morning routine and four days a week I was on the breakfast shift which meant that I set my alarm for four something so I could be in the cafeteria at 4.45 so I could brew the coffee to be ready by 5.15 and I would go deliver it to Stan, have a little word, and then go start cooking breakfast for everybody. And it might be, I don't remember, it was too long ago, but it's possible that there were a handful of times where I slept through my alarm. I don't remember, I mean probably just maybe once. Now it was like seven or eight times I slept through my alarm. And uh, Stan, by about five twenty, would get agitated and walk into my dormitory and pound on my door. And then he would yell down the aisle, "The reason everyone's awake right now is Steve Cuss. <laughs> Steve Cuss is a disgrace to his country. You anti-Australian." And he would give me this rant. <laughs> very playful, very playful. On the other hand, Stan was really helpful because sometimes he would just give you really practical advice. I remember one day in class, he told the whole class, he said, hey, young fellas, young ladies, he says, when you're dating, as you're dating that young lady or that young guy, just ask yourself this question, what kind of grandmother would she be? Like, we're 19, 20-year-old kids, we're not thinking more than six months ahead, And he's like, just ask yourself, could you picture yourself being a grandparent with that person? And that was his way of saying, this is till death do us part. This is 40, 50 years of faithfulness. Figure that out now. I found that to be very helpful. I took his advice. At one time in our dormitory, we had a fellow student who was our age. He came down with paranoid schizophrenia right in front of our eyes. It was like a rapid onset over about six weeks. We saw this young guy, I'll name him Peter. We saw this young guy go from being a normal, healthy young fellow to absolutely paranoid and in the grip of a terrible mental illness. He became convinced, Peter, that everyone on the dorm had to stay up all night and pray all night. And so what he would do at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. for five nights in a row, he would pound on our doors and he would drag us out of bed and make us pray for him because God called us all to pray. And no matter what we tried to do and no matter how we tried to reason with Peter, we could not, and of course we were out of our depth, we were students too, and eventually he did get psychiatric help just to end that story. We got him the help he needed. But there was a couple of weeks there where we're like, what do we do with Peter? How do we help this guy? We're trying to convince him, you don't need to pray, it's okay. Now stand McDaniel got word of this. Somehow word got back to Stan that Peter's chemicals had just gone out of whack and one night Stan came into our dorm room like late at night, 10, 11 at night. He's like, where's Peter? And we got Peter out and Stan looked at Peter. Peter had not slept in five nights, this guy. He was just gone and Stan looked at Peter and says, Peter you can go to bed. You don't need to pray at night. That's why God made Australians. (laughs) And then Stan turned around and walked out the door. And I'm like, why didn't I? I should have thought of that. I could have thought of that. I'm an Aussie. And, and, and Stan just said to Peter, while we're asleep, they're awake. Don't worry about it. And Peter looked at Stan, and he looked at us, and he went to bed. That made sense to him. Sometimes just a little helpful advice. So here we go with Luke. What should we do? The crowd asked. They want to repent. And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Any questions? Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to. Then some soldiers asked him, what what should we do? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You could read John the Baptist's repentance advice in the book of Luke and go a long way to tangibly glorifying God and enjoying God. So, just a quick thing as we wrap up, and I'm gonna invite the band to come out with this. When you don't know what to do, then just do the next right thing. As the late, great Dallas Willard He says, the number one thing people come and seek me out for is what's God's will for my life? What's my purpose in life? And Dallas Willard, his common answer was just whatever the next right thing to do is. The chief end, glorifying God, enjoying God. It doesn't happen on our terms. We have to go seek it out. Repentance, not a popular word nowadays, and yet the path to freedom. And of course, John the prophet. Most prophets are known from where they're from. Elijah was the Tishbite because he was from Tishbe, Isaiah of Jerusalem, John the Baptist. He wasn't known for where he was from, he was known for what he did. And he forever transformed baptism from something that you did to yourself to something that was done to you. So just in keeping, in closing, for those of you who are not followers of Christ, Maybe you've never actually repented. You are still, according to the Bible, dead in your sin. You can be made alive in Christ by being baptized, by doing the very thing that John called people to do, which was to repent and be baptized. We are a church that is in the regular habit of baptizing people. And if you want to know more about that, you can come down front after our service is over. I'll be down and there'll be some others as well to talk to you about what does it mean to be baptized? What does it look like? I'm just gonna invite us to stand and hear from this wonderful Scottish preacher, Alistair Begg, one of my favorite preachers. He simply says, I'd like to just leave this with us as we set our hearts up for worship. You will never know Jesus Christ as a reality in your life until you know him as a necessity in your life. You'll never know him as a reality until you know him as a necessity. Let's pray. Oh, good morning, good God. Thank you that you are good and that you are good to us. Thank you that we get to enjoy you. We do not have to fear you. We do not have to feel ashamed in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you want our freedom more than we want our freedom. Thank you that we can be exhilarated by glorifying you forever. Lord, thank you for giving us repentance. Thank you for telling us difficult things. Lord, I pray that this week we could have a chief end alignment and discover again just how necessary you are in our life. We thank you in Jesus' name.